Well, this morning, uh, I have the distinct privilege of introducing um, Nick Nye. Nick is a, a dear friend uh, to me, his, his family, they are dear friends to, to my family, um, and I'm so incredibly grateful uh, for Nick's influence in my life. Um, Nick uh, was the uh, founding pastor of Veritas Community Church in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and uh, in the last couple of years, he's been in New York pastoring there. He's back in Columbus now. Um, and uh, he was just a massive influence in my life during our time uh, at Veritas Columbus uh, for a few years there. Just a little bit about how that time went. Uh, just bookend story. Let, let me tell two stories to kind of bookend our time in Columbus. Uh, so we moved up to Columbus, and uh, we moved up there with the intent of learning how to plant a church from Veritas Columbus. I didn't talk to Nick about this before we moved up there. Uh, but then I just walked into his office one day, and I said, just naively audacious, um, and I said, hey, uh, Nick, a uh, couple things. Um, I want you to give me a job. I want you to teach me uh, how to plant a church um, in three to five years, I want you to send out uh, me and my family to plant a church in Dayton, and I want you to financially support us, and I want you to introduce me to a lot of people so that I can ask them for financial support as well. Um, and uh, Nick said yes, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, and then, after three years at Veritas Columbus, uh, we were getting ready to, to come back to Dayton to start uh, the process of planting uh, Veritas Dayton. Um, and uh, I started getting kind of cold feet. Um, is, that, is that the right term, cold feet? Yeah. And I was really scared. I was nervous. I'm going, I don't think I'm cut out for this. Um, and so I told Nick one day, I said, Nick, um, I don't know if I'm... Ma- like, cut out for this. I I don't think this is going to work. Maybe we should just kind of take some time and reconsider. Um, And Nick took me out to lunch at this Mexican restaurant in the brewery district. It was not great. Um, And I don't even think it's there anymore. It probably is not there. Um, And uh, he told me, uh, I believe in you. Um, I'm behind you, our church is behind you, we're going to financially support you, and we're here for you, we're here with you in the midst of planting, Uh, and so don't think that you're alone in this. Um, And so that kind of just gives you a little bit of perspective on how Nick has been influential in my life. There's a whole lot of similar conversations uh, in those three years that are bookended by those those bookend uh, conversations, a whole lot of conversations like that through the years, which have led uh, Nick and his family to, to being our dear friends, um, huge influence on me, uh, and whether you know it or not, huge influence on this church, um, and I'm really, really grateful. Um, I would not be the, the man that I am today, uh, our church would not be the church that it is today without uh, Nick uh, and the Lord using him as a potent means of grace in my life and in the life of this church. So I'm really, really thankful that I get to introduce Nick uh, this morning to uh, preach as we continue in our sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to come on up, I'll pray for you. All right. Thank you, brother. Uh, Father, uh, so grateful for uh, this man and his influence in my life and the influence and in, in just the many lives um, of churches 
uh, and pastors and, and families um, all across uh, Columbus and Ohio and even uh, across our nation. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would bless him this morning, uh, fill him with your spirit, um, that he might proclaim your gospel uh, with um, humility and gentleness and uh, with truthfulness and with power this morning. Uh, Lord, would you let the words of his mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Uh, Lord, and I pray that you would do something this morning through the proclamation of your word. Would you sanctify us in your truth, Lord? Your word is truth. Would you pierce our hearts with the truth of the gospel that we might be conformed more and more to the image of your beautiful and lovely son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, Kirsten. Gosh, that was, uh, I was not expecting an introduction like that. And I'm just, yeah, blown away. Uh, because what Garrison didn't tell you is all those years in between, um, I basically told him how much of a terrible person he is, and he's not going to mount up to it, uh, church planting and all that stuff. Um, just kidding. I didn't quite do all of that, but um, Garrison and Amy just mean so much to my wife, Brittany, and I, and our family, and they've uh, it's so, it's just, we've, this, you, you guys have been prayed for so much by um, us and by Veritas and Columbus, and um, it's just so good for me to be here and to be able to talk about God's Word and, and who God is. And so let me start uh, today just by reading the Scripture, reading a Scripture that we all need to hear, that we all need to soak in. So I'm going to read Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. So if you want to open your Bible, just think, of these, think on these words. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor your, about your body, what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day of its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, anyone here besides me get pretty overwhelmed, get anxious? You can raise your hand. Uh, maybe it's your workload. Maybe it's your family drama going on or your finances or a relationship going wrong. Or maybe you have a deep family history of anxiety where 
You, you're, you see your family, your parents or uh, grandparents, and see that generational worry passed down. Um, and, 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 and wouldn't it be interesting if somebody actually came along and said, hey, I actually have a cure for this. I can make this right. We, we'd all be like, yeah, right. Right? Very skeptical of this. We're, we're too cynical when it comes to those kinds of answers. When, when somebody comes along and says, I got a cure for anxiety, the thing that we are all plagued with, the thing that we are all worried with, you're kind of stepping back and saying, yeah, I've heard this before. I, I've went to the I've seen all the, um, uh, the books and the articles on the newsstands, and uh, I've listened to Oprah, and I've seen all the t- talk shows. It doesn't work. We're super skeptical of this. Jesus had the audacity, though, to come along and say, do not be anxious about your life. And wrapping around that, that little sentence... Jesus is showing us or diagnosing that there is a great, where, where the, uh, the, the anxiety really stems from. He's really getting at the root, and he's really showing where does all of this anxiety come from, and how is it there? How is it cured? And, and it takes years. It takes a long time for us to really get to this place of understanding. And so this little sermon may be forgotten, but I hope it kind of pushes you on a, a a journey, pushes you on track, on a road to really start taking this journey, to start going in on this path to really understand the cure that Jesus is talking about. So if we can step back and get this, go back to verse 1 through 18, it has this very negative tone to it, where Jesus is calling out the hypocrites who desire to um, look godly, look spiritual and religious. They pray, they fast, they do all the religious kinds of things, but they don't have a a relationship with God. They, They look spiritual, but they don't have connection to God, a real communion with God. That is broken. And Jesus comes along, again, negatively, and really draws that out and points that out and, and, and calls them out on that. Jesus tells them, you're going to get what you want. You want the praise of men? I'll give it to you. You can have it. You can look spiritual and see all the people in the city and the towns will look at you and, and praise you and, and that kind of thing. But he's saying, you are going to miss out on the most important thing, that is communion with the Father. Now, I'm pointing that out and going back there and pointing that out because that is actually the premise of all that I want to talk about today, is that communion and connection that we have with God. And that is where Jesus is really trying to draw his people into, into that space where we are connected with God, not just let's look more spiritual, let's look a little bit more obedient, let's just get our life in order, but he is wanting our actual connection to Jesus, to himself. So in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, that we're looking at today, Jesus does want to shape your life and transform you, and he's going to show you how to do it. He's going to show us how to do this. This transformation is so key. It's so important to our anxiety-creating life. He's coming along, and he's offering transformation that's a cure, to cure the anxiety. And now, it sounds, again, too simplistic, I know, But listen, he does this by addressing some deep areas of our life that we lack 
major maturity in. Okay, we, we really lack some maturity in how we handle finances and how we handle our true affections to God, our masters, who our master really is. And, and because we are really immature in that, that usually equals a lack of communion with Christ and an increase in anxiety. Jesus is calling us in all of this to invest in the kingdom, invest in who He is, in, his relation, in our relationship with Him, so that we can find freedom and anxiety-ridden uh, life. That's why I want to start with this bold question that Jesus starts with. Do not be anxious. It, it's, it's, it's a call, but it's a question. What if there was a cure for anxiety? That's there. Let, let's see how this unfolds and how Jesus convince you, can convince you that, that Christianity can be an actual worry-free life. Now, I know you all have already tapped into verses 19 through 24, but I, wanna, I, I just kind of want to double-click on those again. Because, well, we, we have to. We actually have to. Because so much of our anxiety stems from money and stuff, our junk. And we've got to do some diagnostic work, work to understand our anxiety. And Jesus does that for us. So let's back up and, and get into the root of the anxiety, looking at verses 19 through 21, where he starts saying, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where the thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All of us deal with money daily. We, we, we do. So there isn't one person in here that this passage doesn't get to. And just to be straight to the point, Jesus is saying, you can either invest your treasure in heaven or you can invest it in earth. He's pointing to your money, as verse 24 shows, but it's more than your money. It's more than just the, the green bills and your bank account. Listen, it's simple. Where are you going to store up your treasure? The decision we have before us gets even simpler when Jesus tells us the outcome of each investment. When he tells us, if you invest in this world, in the earth, in things here, it's going to be eaten up and destroyed and crushed. But if you invest in heavenly things... It will go on forever. It will last forever. And so for us, if we're using logic in this, we're saying, oh yeah, okay, so, so I should invest in heavenly things. I should invest in things that last. Storing our treasures and deteriorating, falling apart things, that's just not a good investment. Though the investment is simple and his logic seems simple to us, it is far from simplistic. I mean, you and I are not going to leave here and be like, okay, I'm changed. I'm convinced. I got it. And you're going to go and just say, I'm going to give all my money to the church, to charities. I'm going to invest in the city and, and better things um, to, to, to make a bigger impact in God's kingdom. You're not going to go and just do all of that, right? So it's not simplistic. And Jesus knows that. He knows that it's far from being easy and obvious. I mean, the church, if, 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 it, if it was so easy, the church would always be thriving, 
would have tons of ministries going on to serve the city, love the poor, invest in the souls of people. He, he knows that. He knows that the issue simply isn't giving more money away to charities and churches. And, and many preachers might tell you that. Um, I, I certainly know that there's, there's opportunity to see um, more investment in just giving, giving, giving more, but he's really trying to see and show us that your money is actually your, is a diagnostic tool, is, is where your heart is. Because he knows that the heart is the rudder, is the steering wheel for these kinds of decisions. See, what we truly treasure rules our lives. What you invest in is what you treasure. What you truly value is what you'll give yourself to, our money, our time. So then, let's get the questions right. What is it that you truly value? You think about... Um, what do you give your life to? Think specifically about your bank account. Maybe kind of scroll through your online account right now, and you're just thinking, okay, I give a lot of money to this. I give a lot of money to this. I spend a lot of money on these kinds of groceries or going out to eat in this kind of way. It tells you a lot about you. J- James K. Smith states in his insightful book, You Are What You Love, he says, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but informs our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. Do you see, Jesus is going there. He's going to that place where he's trying to get a hold and get you looking and thinking about your longings, your loves, your true investments. Jesus is drawing up our real treasures for this world so that he can redirect our, our treasures to himself, so that he can change the direction of this. He wants to transform us. He wants, us to give, he wants to give us a new and better treasure that is himself. He wants our affections, our heart's desire to change. And it is then that we can be generous. When our heart is changed, it's then we can be generous. So a 19th century Scottish pastor, Robert McChaney, He applies this passage saying, to give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. So the passage is not about how much money you're giving away or how much you're not. I mean, you remember, he just dealt with these hypocrites that wanted to look spiritual. I mean, they were probably the most generous people of all. But he's trying to get deeper, deeper, deeper into your soul. Where is your true treasure are, are, are we loving um, investing in earthly treasures? Are we investing in the kingdom and who God is? Because most of us, here's, here's where I'm going to start bringing it in. Most of us have so much anxiety, so much stress, because we're investing ourselves in this earth. Uh, maybe, maybe when it comes to money, we don't want a new heart. Some of you uh, might be there, and that's why I said that we're very immature in this, where you're willing to be mature in other things, like, oh, I'll grow in prayer, I'll grow in um, Bible reading. Um, those, don't, those require some time sacrifice. Yeah, I get, but like when it comes to our money, when it comes to other things like that, that's where we don't want to invest. And Jesus is saying, well, maybe that's why you're so anxious. 
That's why you're so anxious. You're still finding life in money and what it could bring. Well, maybe if it's not money, it's your body, your image, your Instagram account, right? How people perceive you. And that's why uh, 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 it continues. He continues in verses 22 through 23 where he gives us another example. Speaking of the body and clothing, there's, there's a connection here. Luke makes it in, in Luke 11, uh, chapter 11 and chapter 12, where Jesus ties our body into our generosity and with money. It's an elusive parable in Luke. Um, there's so much to that context, but he, it's there, he's showing us there that where we look, where we focus our eyes, directs our life. We know that. Where we look and we're constantly looking is kind of the direction we're going to take. If you're wanting to go over here, but you're constantly looking over there, you're going to have a hard time going over there. And so it's a, dis, it's a discipleship issue um, that, that is wrapped around our, our ethics right? Our, our anger, our lust, our divorce, and all of the things that Jesus talked about, but it's, um, um, it's actually about our economics as well, how we spend our money and invest our time. These are the things that Jesus is really trying to address in this. And then he goes on again, your master, verse 24, says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I'm not going to keep belaboring this point, but I want to keep pushing the, 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 the um, symptoms and pushing really deep down into what's going on and causing the anxiety. Because too many times we get up front as, as a pastor or you hear in the magazines or read in the magazines or hear on Oprah just these, these uh, solutions, just have a better attitude, positive thinking, or these kinds of things when anxiety rises up but we don't actually address what is the root. Where is my anxiety? And Jesus is trying to get to that root. He's trying to get to the core of who we are and what we love and what our desires are and money and clothing and who our master is because he wants to redirect our, our affections. He wants to redirect our heart's treasures to himself because in himself he is saying that's where the cure is. That's where it is. Now, I know many of you right now just feel too overwhelmed as, as he just talks about these masters. Maybe when you think of masters, you think of your boss. You say, ah, I'd love to do that, but I can't because I got this boss. Or maybe your kids, like, I got my kids still need wiped and, and fed. and all. I, I, I'm, I'm, they're like slave, basically. Um, all of these kinds of things where you feel like I can't, invest in another treasure. Now, Jesus isn't saying, no, quit your job. Stop taking care of the kids. Let their diapers fill up. It's fine. As long as your face is to me and your head is with me and your heart is there, no, we're not called to do that. But what Jesus is getting at is that we're not to cling to earthly masters. We're not to cling to earthly treasures. We're not to cling to earthly image. We can't stay there. Because when we do, anxiety will come up. It will keep coming up. And when anxiety comes up in our lives, it's like, listen, it's like a giant sign. A giant sign that's being raised that tells us where we've put our treasures. But Jesus is so kind. 
He's so kind to us that he opens a cure. He doesn't just say, look at the sign. You guys are in bad shape. He gives us a cure. The cure isn't just, again, just give more money away. It's not just more dedicated obedience. Let's look carefully at verse 24 through 34. That was just the introduction. I hope that's okay. Garrison said I only had 90 minutes. <laughs> just kidding. Jesus is loving us well here and giving us a roadmap when anxiety rises up. Some of you really need this map. You might be here today just, again, racked with anxiety. You, you need something. And Jesus is saying, here, here's a map. Here's how to get out of this because he, Jesus cares for you and he doesn't like you sitting here, heart racing, thinking about a million things that need to be done or relationships that are broken that are, are, are crushing you. He's not interested in you just staying there. He wants to give you a roadmap for when that sign says, welcome to anxiety. Four points, four markers to guide us through um, this freedom of worry. Look at your life, look at nature, look at God, and look at God's kingdom. Now, but, but, but stop. Before we go down this road, before we start taking this journey, I want to say that we will never, ever, ever perfect this. Okay? It's not like you're going to leave here today and be like, dude, I got it. I got the, the cure. I get this. It's done. I'm, I, no more worry. I'm not going to worry anymore. It's, this is, that's why I said this is just the start. Just take the journey, and it's going to take a long time. And it might sound like a cop-out to say, but I hope you hear. This is a journey, a long journey, but the journey is important. It's so important. This isn't a four steps to a better kind of thing, a better life or whatever, but it, it is Jesus' path for us. And so, maybe you need to take some notes. Revisit it tomorrow. Revisit it the next day. Revisit it the next day for 20 years. And you'll start seeing, wow, Jesus is changing me. He's so good to me. So, let's talk about this. Verse 25, again, let me read, read it. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, I can appreciate the bluntness of this, the bluntness um, that even we started with. Do not be anxious about your life. But it is really offensive. It's super offensive, especially even to the poor. I mean, if you think about the poor and, and Jesus saying, don't worry about it, it's good. I, I think about my friends out on the streets or friends that I've made in third world countries and just to tell them, don't worry about food. Don't worry about drink and clothing. That seems like a, a thing that um, we in the first world can say. Just don't worry about it. You know, for us, we don't have to worry about it. We can go to Chipotle later. We can go anywhere. We can get pizza. We can get Chinese. We can just, we don't need to worry and think about those things. But many do worry and think about these. So it is really offensive. And to the rich, uh, we may not think of it as offensive, but this passage is often taken as, well, uh, I don't worry about food or drink. I don't worry about any of that in clothes. Therefore, I am very spiritual. All right, Jesus, I got this one down. 
I don't worry about that kind of thing because I got lots of money. I'm plenty, um, so I don't need to worry about these things. But what Jesus is doing here is he's calling us again to consider our lives, consider our hearts, so that we can take our eyes off of it. Do you hear the play of words there? To consider our lives so that we can actually take our eyes off of it. Look at your life. Notice what you treasure. Look at your bank account, uh, where your treasure's investment are. Do you see the failing pattern? Do you see um, how all these investments are, are fading? Do you see how the shine is wearing off? Do you see how they don't fulfill and give you um, what your deepest needs are? So, right, they, look at that. They don't fulfill. So he's saying now shift your eyes. I mean, we have to consider our family history in that too. It's not just money and what today. It's our family history. I mean, do you have trauma in your life, in your past that brings you anxiety into today? I know I do. There's so much in my past, in my history, in my family that I've had to really consider and think about. And do you understand where the anxiety comes from? That's so important. We have to take time to look back at our lives so that, again, we can take our eyes off our lives. Keep looking at um, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which you, being, you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Look at nature, he says. We don't take that one very seriously. Look at nature. He's saying, stop what you're doing and just look at nature. See, what Jesus is doing here is a rabbinic method of arguing from lesser to greater. Saying, look here, look here, look here. He's kind of building up to this to see um, how God takes care of their needs, and therefore he'll take care of yours. Now, I have a really good friend. Um, I have a really good friend. He's actually from Dayton, Ohio, but I, um, we spent a time together in New York City when we were there. And um, he's a comic artist, really famous on Instagram and, and these kinds of things. But he has this feed where um, he takes these little pigeons, videos of pigeons. Maybe some of you have seen it. He takes videos of pigeons and then puts little captions by them. And it's ridiculous. Uh, there's times I'm like, dude, you've been spending way too much time with pigeons. I'm starting to worry about you. Um, but he's got this video series. And as his friend, we, we had talked about these videos sometimes. Um, and and it's, it's strange. Because if you think about it, um, he's spending time with all these pigeons, watching them, and, and these kinds of things. And uh, when I was reading this passage and we were discussing it one time, I thought, you know what, Nathan, you're actually like the most spiritual person ever <laughs> because you spend time videoing these weird pigeons um, and making something out of that. And, and for me, I'm thinking that that's what we need to do more of. Just look and see how they uh, provide for one another. Um, but I was thinking of one of the videos where, um, that he did where there was a smaller bird um, a smaller pigeon. It was working hard over this piece of bread. And these birds, um, they work really hard. He was trying to eat it, and it was too big for him or her, and, and it couldn't eat it. And so um, I was thinking, birds are always on the hunt. 
Sometimes, at least when in New York City, when we lived there, 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 uh, there's so much to avoid in New York City. They're everywhere. I mean, there's taxis, and there's tons of pedestrians, and of course, my own children who desire and love to try to kick them. Uh, right, Elliot? You just try to kick the pigeons. Um, and, and so they're all working hard for that little crumb, though. They want that little crumb. So what he's saying here is don't be passive, don't be idle, keep working hard, but work hard out of freedom from anxiety. This is what the birds tell us. They're not worried about it. They're still going to eat that crust, but they're not, work, they're not worried about it. And then he says, look to the flowers of the field. Not only is God providing nature with food, but also clothing. They're beautiful, better than anything that the richest and wealthiest of Solomon could ever produce. Oftentimes, we don't stop and smell the flowers. That's where the saying came from. They tell us that God meets basic needs. When we, when we think about all of this, when we think about God, how God is redirecting us, uh, oftentimes we might stop and we might see, but we don't actually behold And this is what he's calling us to, to behold these things. Solomon, who had his incredibly crafted temple with all its splendor and all its beauty described in 1 Kings, it was a sight to behold. He's saying it's reduced, now it's reduced to rubble and and buried in the past. It doesn't even exist anymore. It's, It's nothing. But the flowers, they're still here. They're still here. You can go see them. They keep coming. Nature is speaking, is screaming of the provider of its king. So we look at our lives to look away from our lives, and we look at nature, and both of these, he's saying, point to God. So look at verses 30 through 32, because now he wants us to draw our eyes to God himself. See the roadmap? See the journey here? He provides. God knows what you need. He knows you need friends. He knows you need a better job. He knows your desires and your needs. And and the point here is that we not obsess with the needs in and of themselves, but we look to God. Or as Sinclair Ferguson said, we need some divine medicine. We need something more than this world can offer. Although Jesus is saying this world's pretty great because it's about God. Psalm 42, 1 famously states, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. God must become our passion, our desire, our affection, our provision. So you remember if I, when I started the sermon, it was all about our relationship with God, our communion with Him, our oneness with Him. We're to look to Him. And this is the thought that we must end with and the vision. Even we, we must stay here for a long time. Because we, if, he keep, if we keep going, he says, not only look to me, but look to what I'm doing. In verse 33, it's another marker on our map. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's this fourth vision, a fourth place to look when anxiety strikes. Look at God's kingdom. Look what he's doing. That means... Veritas, as a church, has to reflect, 
has to reflect God's priorities, has to reflect who God is. If, if we here are, are His little kingdom, if we're His little kingdom as we gather on Sundays and as you gather in small groups throughout the week, you learn from each other, care for each other, and invest in discipling one another, you'll see the kingdom of God and His righteousness right here. And Jesus saying, look there. Look at what I'm doing. So let's back up a second. Do you see the markers, the points along the way that lead us here? Now, the word seek. I'm going to leave you with that word. Seek first His kingdom. The word seek is a present imperative, which means it's a never-ending journey. That's why I said, like, this isn't going to be everything. The answer, Jesus is calling us to seek. Get on that journey. Start there. Then he concludes, verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus knows we've got enough today. Some of you are weighed down right now. He knows that. He knows there's bills to pay, work to be done, deadlines to meet, responsibilities, kids to care for, kids that are probably starving because I'm long-winded, right? He knows all of these things. But He wants to take us on a journey. And so let's come back around and end with God. The journey is toward Him who He is, what He has given us, and knowing the Father's heart for you and I today is not anxiety, is not worry, but He's coming around us, and He's saying all of this to comfort you, to care for you, to say, relax, I got this. Some of you are going to take a huge, huge mountains, to learn this, and big valleys to get this. I know I have. But Jesus is diagnosing our worry, saying maybe it's money, maybe it's your image, maybe it's your body, maybe it's your history, but he's also curing it. He's telling us that our treasure's in the wrong place, but how to put it in the right place. Not in this world, but in heaven. Not in this kingdom, but in his kingdom. Not in the things that fade and are destroyed, but in Him, in Him alone. He is the object. He is the object. It is there. It is when our eyes are fixed on Him. It is when we are in relationship with Him that our hearts are aligned, and we find that a cure starts its work. The the medicine starts working. And so today, I want to call you to Him, call you to relationship with Him, call you to look to Him, call you to think of Him, call you even to do some reflecting this week. Write down those things saying money is definitely one of the things that I struggle with. Time, uh, image, family history that causes worry. Think about what causes worry in your life and think, how can I go to Jesus with this? How can I move, transform in my life so that I'm not here all the time, but I can move into who He is? and relationship with Him. So can I just stop and pray for you in that? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us, 
who offered forgiveness for us, who rose from the dead so that we might be made one with you, so that we might lift our eyes off the treasures that we have here, lift our eyes off the worries and the anxieties we have here, and look to you. Help us in Jesus' name. Help us. God, I want to, we want to, can we just pause before you for a second? And would you minister to us? Maybe show us one area, one area right now that is just causing a ton of anxiety. Lord, we give that to you. We give that to you now. And as we think about that, God, we give it to you and we say, Lord, change it. Change us. Transform us. We, don't, we know you don't want us to be anxious. You've come to give us life and life abundantly. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen.